Name what matters. That is a mantra I heard over and over again from today's guest, the New York Times bestselling author of The Lazy Genius Way and the host of The Lazy Genius Podcast, Kendra Adachi, who, as it turns out, is basically my soul sister. I love her tips for being lazy about the things that don't matter and a genius about the things that do. And in this episode, she's sharing how her lazy genius principles like naming what matters, deciding once, or using the magic question can make a lazy Lazy genius out of you too. Let's face it, life is hard enough, and I, for one, will take every tip and trick out there to make it a little easier. Do you have a pressing question about parenting but don't know who to ask? Well, we are women supporting women, and we've got you. I'm Vanessa Quigley, and welcome to the Mom Force Podcast, brought to you by Chatbooks. Now, before we start, I wanted to share one of my own lazy genius principles. Done is better than perfect. And that is a mantra for lots of things in my life, but especially with photo books. No one should be stressing about having to create a perfectly detailed and comprehensive documentation of your family's lives. Forget about it. Just pick 30 photos each month for your month books. A brand new Chatbooks subscription with one beautiful book each month with 30 photos starting at $8 and a sweet BOGO offer when you sign up. Now that is genius. Hello, Kendra. Welcome to the Mom Force Podcast. I'm so happy to be here. This is so exciting. <laughs> so fun. I'm so glad you're here. The lazy genius herself. Can we talk about what an amazing name that is? <laughs> <laughs> I love to take credit for it. I didn't come up with it. <laughs> Well, the word lazy is so decadent. Like, I automatically think of myself in bed with a cup of hot tea and television in the middle of the day, right? But you've taught us that we can be lazy and a genius at the same time. Yeah. How'd you come up with a name? Well, I knew that I wanted to have some sort of message around let go of some stuff. Like uh-huh. you can't do all the things. We have to figure out a way for people to feel like they can let go of some things. And so as I was talking with my best friend, who's also a, an author and a content creator, and she's really good at naming things. And I said, I really, I feel like everybody's trying to be a genius about everything. Yeah. And she said, what if people were lazy geniuses? And it was like the world opened up ding, in front ding, of ding, me. Ding, it was ding. the best thing ever. So yeah, lazy geniuses are a genius about the things that matter and then lazy about the things that don't. Well, I love that. Actually, the byline in your book, The Lazy Genius Way, says embrace what matters, ditch what doesn't, and get stuff done. (laughs) Because really, that's what it's all about, right? We just all have these endless to-do lists. We're trying to get it all done. But your mom, you've got three kids? I've got three kids, fifth grade, third grade, and preschool. Yeah. I think the minute you become a mom, you realize I'm never going to get it all done. Like, just (laughs) surrender it. Or another principle that you teach, there's a season. Maybe this is not the right season, but live in the season. So many great principles, so much good stuff. I can't wait to chat about all of it. Because time and energy are the two scarcest resources for a mother, right? Oh, 100%. (laughs) Sleep, but it's all wrapped up in sleep. It is. It is. Yeah. It's so hard because I, I, you know, you hear before you have kids, people who do have kids say, well, you just don't know until you have kids. And we all know that intellectually, like, I know, I don't know. But then you have them and you're like, oh, wait, (laughs) there's no, it's like you're in this endless time loop where nothing happens and nothing moves, at least when you have tiny ones. And at the same time, there's so much to do for 
someone who doesn't actually can't move. It's the weirdest thing. It's the weirdest thing, but you're absolutely right. Time and energy are the things that we need so much, but I think we try and figure out how are we going to spend our time rather than figuring out what do I, what actually matters for me to like, how do I want to spend my energy? Because if I don't name where I'm going to put my energy, if I'm just like, I'm going to try to use up my energy in the best possible way, mm-hmm. but you're like going in all these different directions, then you're, I get back to the sleep thing. Like you're emotionally tired, your soul is tired, your body is tired, your mind is tired. So we really need to name what it is we want to put our energy and time into and then feel the freedom to let the rest of it go. Because it's okay that not everything matters to everybody. It's just really okay. Well, the experience of motherhood is so different for every single person, right? And I know when I first became a mom, I bought all the books. I wanted all of the answers of how to take care of this little person. How do I take care of me? How do I run my household? I want all the programs. I wanted someone to give me the answer. But this is what I love about your book, Kendra, is it's not a set schedule system. It's not like do this and you will succeed, but it's a framework. It's a way of looking at things. It's a way of seeing things differently. Yeah. And I think success, I mean, even that word, like how are we going to succeed? Success looks different at different seasons of life, different stages of life, and just different personalities even. I think sometimes I think about people like me who are very driven, you know, type A, whatever, like I can get a lot done. And so it's easy for me to see a successful day as a productive day. But there is also space for a successful day being a day where I'm not producing and I'm okay with it. Like that's its own kind of success. So I think that there's just permission for all of that, that there's not even one day that you're trying to replicate over and over again, you know, like we're trying to get away from the robot mentality, like just to be present in your day, have some tools so you can get stuff done. Like I'm not saying we've got to get stuff done. You can't just wing it every day. You can't wing it every day. (laughs) You cannot. We don't want to wing it. We also don't want to be a robot. And so there is this really beautiful middle of just paying attention to what you need based on what matters to you, not to your mother-in-law, not to your sister, not to your neighbor, not to the PTA president or whatever it is. Like just name what matters to you and make choices to support that using I think, lazy genius principles that sort of help you create your own system that can can work, that you can get things done, but you also know when it's okay to not. Can we talk about perfectionism though, the P word? Okay, because many of us struggle with that a little bit. And I know in your book, you talk about how it became obvious that that this was getting in the way right? And you tell a really funny story about a French toast casserole. (laughs) Like, was that your big, was that your big aha moment when you're like, this is not working for me? You know, it's funny. I think it was the aha moment when I realized it wasn't working for me. There were plenty of moments before, uh, plenty, where I was like, no, I'm choosing to not participate in this thing because I can't do it perfectly. High school dances come to mind. Like, I don't dance. Basically all of high school for me, I'd have to say. (laughs) (laughs) So like, I remember, I remember being in seventh grade and I was at a middle school dance and a Green Day song was playing and everybody seemed like they were so happy and carefree. And I was like, how are their bodies doing that? Like, how does one actually move (laughs) one's body to rhythmic music? Like, I just don't have it in my marrow to dance. But I remember I, you know, I had friends like trying to 
you know, pull me to the floor and have fun or whatever. And I was such a wet blanket because I was like, if I can't do that, if I cannot be JLo on this seventh grade train <laughs> depot dance floor because we had our dance in an abandoned train station, it was like, I'm not even going to be here. Like, what's the point in even being right. here? So I had so many of those. But the French toast story, yeah. <laughs> I basically decided to impress my coworkers with a homemade breakfast. And I was like, I'm going to make French toast casserole and it's going to be gooey, delicious because I had had it from someone else like a couple weekends before. But I, in my perfectionist, I don't need to ask for help vibe was like, well, I don't need to look up a recipe or like ask him how he made it. I can just like wing it as you said, to borrow mm-hmm. that phrase. And I, I just put butter on Wonder Bread and stuck it in the oven or like put cream <laughs> cheese on some and stuck it in the Did oven. Have you like ever made no... French toast before? Like, no, no. 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 <laughs> but you knew that it was going to be an impressive feat if you could pull it off. Oh I did God. not though. <laughs> Spoiler listener. Yeah. I did not. She did not pull it off. It was so disgusting. Like it was so disgusting. And the story is very, it's told in great detail. But I do think that was the moment where I was like, oh wait, the result of this was my worst fear. The result of this, of not asking for help, of not saying like, I actually don't know how to do this, of getting in over my head or whatever, the result was like absolute utter failure, which is what I avoid at all costs. And so I think it was like, oh, wait, my way isn't working. It can only work for so long. I think that's kind of a pain about, about being a perfectionist. It tricks you because if you do it well, then you do it well. And you don't mm-hmm. fail because you only try things that you're going to be good at. But when you do fail, it is catastrophic. Right. And so it just feels like, oh, no, wait. So you could go, I feel like people who are really good at being perfectionists can go years, decades even, and you're just holding it all in bit by bit. And you're like, if anybody sees what's really going on inside of me, they are going to run. Like, this is not an okay way to yeah, be. Yeah, but that's a lie. That's why perfectionism is a liar. Because if anything, seeing the cracks in people's armor fosters connection because you're like, you're like me because no one is perfect. So we're, so we are desperately protecting this facade, right? Which then has us hold back and keep from letting people know us. I mean, that's something that you used to talk about in the book. I do. It's so, it's such an interesting paradox because we put so much effort into this thing that's meant to protect us so that we can maintain the relationships that we have and desperately want. But in so doing, we are keeping ourselves out of relationship with people. And what you need even more, I think, well, not even more, because everybody needs relationship, but there is a very specific need for a specific kind of community when you are a mother. Oh, amen. And, and, and I see that in our Mom Force Facebook group. We have a very vibrant, active Facebook group where I think having just a little teeny profile pic allows you to feel a little more vulnerable, like open up a little more and say, hey, is anyone else having trouble with this? And turns out, yeah, 300 people are chiming in. Yes, me too. There's like that sense of community that that a little bit of anonymity on a Facebook group allows you is so empowering. But what advice do you have to somebody who is feeling crippled by this perfectionism? I mean, I have a family full of little perfectionists. So I've been like trying to, as a teenager, it's really hard to crack that nut and be like, who cares? No one is watching you. No one cares what you're doing. Just free yourself of all of that. 
Go. Lazy genius. Man. Give us your genius. <laughs> it's so hard. I got to say, I feel like a genius move is to go to therapy. That was one of my biggest helpers was to go Amen. to therapy for that. But I think that, I think that what happens is we, in wanting to be perfect, it is a self-preservation move, right? We are trying to protect ourselves from something. And so I think the question to ask, if you know, if you're like, oh, I'm such a perfectionist, I would just invite you to ask yourself, what am I afraid of? What's the worst that can happen here? If I don't do this well, not even have a catastrophic failure, but even if I just like get a B, like I remember when yeah, I was yeah. in college and I got a, my first B and I was like, wait a minute, is the world going to open up and eat me? Because I thought this was not okay. And when the world did not do that, I was like, wait a minute. So not, literally nothing happened. I just got to be like, it's okay. This is okay. And so I would ask yourself, like, what is it that you are afraid of? And I know that's a really personal question, but like for me, for years and years, what I was most afraid of is, is if I did not show up exactly the way you needed me to, or I thought you needed me to. And if I did not give you any reason to think anything negative about me, then you are not going to leave. That, mm. That's the deep thing for me, is I need to be perfect so that people will stay. That's heavy. It is so heavy. And that's why I'm like, therapy is really great, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> because I think anybody who feels a drive for deep perfectionist tendencies is due to some lie that you believe that your value is completely tied to how good you are. Yeah. And that's just garbage. It's absolute yeah. garbage. Now, there may be people in your life, probably because we're all humans who are broken and make terrible choices sometimes, but there are probably people in your life who have proven your assumption to be true. They did leave, you know, like you were vulnerable and they were like, I'm not, I'm not here for this. Yeah. Or a parent who is supposed to take care of you, even when you are completely falling apart, didn't. Or, you know, there's so many times where people fail us. But the ultimate truth is, did they get to decide your value? No, they don't. They actually yeah. don't. And so to, to name that very deep answer, but to sort of notice how it manifests itself in these like really tiny ways throughout the day. I was talking to my husband the other day. So our dishwasher's broken, which is obviously a very, very privileged problem to have, but also now we have to like wash dishes for a family of five who's home all the time, et cetera. It's just like a lot of dish. My hands are so dry right now. So he was washing the dishes and he was like stacking them in a way that I would not have done it, that I would not have seen as like the perfect way to do it, right? And I started to feel angry towards him. The man who is standing there washing the dishes so I could sit down and read a book. He's not doing it right, though. He's not doing it right, though. Exactly. <laughs> and I started to feel this rise in me of anger towards him. And it was just noticing that and stepping back and going, okay, wait, why am I mad? Like, why in the world would I be mad that my husband is loving me and this family in such a way as to do this thing so that I don't have to? He's being a partner. He's helped, like... What is wrong with that? And I realized that it wasn't so much that he wasn't doing it right. It's that by 
him choosing to do it differently than me made me think that he thinks I'm doing it wrong. Oh, yes. You made it about you. I made it about me. And then it was like, I do that. Who cares? <laughs> then I when I realized that, I was like, oh, wait, I don't do it wrong. I can do it my way. He can do it his way. Who cares? And then I went. But the dishes are getting done. And the dishes are getting done. Yes. It doesn't matter. So it's just, I really think it's like so much about just paying attention to these narratives that we have in our head and paying attention to when you feel that kind of like emotional burst of like, wait a minute, why am I mad about this? What am I afraid to lose here? What do I think is going to happen? What's the worst that's can, that can happen here? And it starts to just, maybe you don't change your behavior right away, but you just start to notice how, how prevalent it is. Mm-hmm. And then can kind of like start to relax those muscles a little bit. Yeah, it starts with that awareness. Well, I am so grateful that you had this aha, that you keep questioning, that you keep putting yourself out there because I love following you on social media. You are so real. What you mentioned in the book, sometimes we get that like twisted around and you say that our culture is obsessed with being real, but we've been using the wrong measuring stick. Tell me what you mean about that. Because I mean that as a compliment. I, like and I you get to see Kendra in all of your glory, uh, and I love it. But what did you mean by that? Yeah, no, it's it's tricky, isn't it? Because usually, when people say, "Oh, you're so real," it's when I am showing the messy parts of my life, right? It's showing like you know, that I yelled at a kid or that my house is a mess or that I burned food or something like, like you know, I haven't showered in three days, guys, or, you know, whatever it is. Because we all relate to that. Because we all, all relate to that. And so those things are important because they're part of life. But I think what has happened, there has been a bit of an idolizing of not caring that unless you're a mess, you're not being vulnerable. You're not actually being real. So like if you are showered, and you have on like a bold lip, and you got stuff done today, and you tell people that, well, then you're Mm -hmm. just fake. Mm -hmm. But both things are real, and both things exist in the same person, often. So I want there to be permission for, like, we don't get to judge what's real. We don't need to conflate messiness and vulnerability, or cleanliness, or tidiness, or orderliness, or whatever it is, and you've got something to hide. That's just not true. And that separates us from each other. That's why when I have gone to like the park, when my kids were a lot younger and you would see like groups of moms out and I would just sort of go like, well, I don't belong with them because they're all wearing jeans. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) You know, like I haven't put on jeans in three weeks (laughs) or whatever. But guess what? Like just because I choose to wear joggers or whatever doesn't mean that those people are trying harder or that they're pretending or that they wouldn't want to talk to me or that I would not learn something from them. There's just this separation that we have created in having it together or being a hot mess. Yeah. And everybody's both. <laughs> like yeah, everybody's both things. Everybody. We're all different. We're all unique. We're going to mom. We're going to live our lives totally differently. Be our own kind of lazy genius. I love it. I love that message. Kendra, will you help us tackle some of the questions that have come in our Mom Force Facebook group with these lazy genius principles of yours to help 
kind of reframe how we're looking at the problem. Because we got lots of problems. We've touched on a few of them already. But let's dig in. I want to start with this question from Carla. This is what she posted in our Facebook group. She says, I'm feeling a little off lately, and I'm thinking I need to make some changes. What is something that you do daily that helps set you up for a more successful, happier, better day? And I couldn't help but think of the magic question, right? That's one of your principles. Tell us about the question. And does that work for this problem? I think it absolutely could. So first, hi, Carla. Uh, So the magic question is, what can I do now to make something easier later? And you can fill in the blank with whatever it is. Like, what can I do now to make dinner easier? And then you can nail it. You can get it like way specific. What can I do now to make when I actually need to stand in front of the stove and cook the food? Like, what can I do now (laughs) to make that easier later? So you you can magic question literally anything. Like I have magic questioned relationships. Like, what can I do now to make connecting with that friend easier later? I'm going to put it in my calendar every two weeks to send her a message or whatever, you know? Yeah. Because we kind of just live our lives and then we're like, oh, it's been two months and I haven't talked to this friend or whatever. So you can magic question anything. And I think that it, it definitely applies here. Where I would start maybe before even asking the magic question is thinking about what makes you feel like yourself, Carla. So if you're feeling off, that could be a number of things, right? It could be that you're not sleeping very well. It could be that maybe there's a relationship that feels a little bit disconnected. It could be hormonal. Like there are so many different things it could be. But I think that whenever we feel sort of off center of ourselves, we need a way to get back on center to ourselves. Like we need to know what it is that makes us feel like ourselves. And everybody has something. One of the principles in the book is schedule rest. And part of that is this idea of self-care, obviously. But self-care is not really just this narrow category of like, maybe running or doing your nails or, you know, we always, we mm-hmm. usually think about self-care as like our physical bodies, which it can absolutely be that. But I define, and I think a lazy genius definition of self-care is whatever it is that you need to do to make you feel like yourself again, do it. And that could be anything. That could be being alone, being with people. It could be running. It could be sitting completely still and taking a nap. It could be reading. It could be gardening. It could be, it could be anything. And so whenever we feel like, where did I go? (laughs) I think we've all had those moments. Like, I just don't feel like myself to know what it is that does make you feel like yourself and make a small choice every day to do that thing. So Carla asked if there was anything that I do every day and there is, but it's because it makes me feel like me. I feel like me when I listen to music and I feel like me when I sit and quiet and read. Those are two ways that I just sort of like, get back there. And I also feel like myself when I walk outside, but that's not always a possibility. And so I don't want to depend on that every day, but I can listen to music every day and Mm -hmm. I can read every day, even for five minutes. And sometimes it is for five minutes. Sometimes it's a literal song, but to know something that reminds you of who you are, that you practice every single day will start to kind of like inch you back to that center where you're like, okay, I feel a little bit more like myself now. And now I can magic question. Now I can decide once. Now I can do all these like more tangible kind of concrete principles to accomplish the things that I need to accomplish. If you're accomplishing without like being 
connected to yourself, that accomplishment is kind of hollow, right? This is why you're so good because you went there. You went to like the higher level thinking. I immediately went to like, how do I make sure that dinner's ready? And how do I make sure I don't forget the carpool and all the like little things that make me feel like I'm losing my mind? But it's bigger than that is how do I remember who I am? And if I'm being honest, the word self-care kind of are like, oh, I'm tired of them. Same. It's just it's just too much like manicures, the massages. But <laughs> the truth is we're not going to be any service to our family or our community if we are not taking care of ourselves. And if it's as simple as listening to music, going for a walk, reading 10 pages, like start there name what matters. And if you need to, I feel like this is something that's really a simple change for people that we don't feel like we have permission to do. And that is to change the name of something. If you don't like the phrase self-care, pick something different. I've heard self-keeping. I've heard just resting. You know, like you can be like, I need to get back to center. To call it something different. I think about this with meal planning. Like you say meal planning and people run for the hills. Yes. I don't want to do that. That because sounds you, horrible. Exactly. And you, because you think it's one thing and you're not in that category of one thing. And so that thing isn't for you. But then every day at 4.30, you're losing your mind because you don't know what's for dinner. Because right. you've, thrown, you've thrown that idea out simply because the name, understandably, certain words yeah. have attachments for us. And so even something simple like, if you're like, I don't want a meal plan, but like, I really need to figure out what's for dinner, then call it, I need to figure out what's for dinner. And choosing what to meal eat. Plan. Yeah, I'm yeah. choosing what to eat. So it's, uh, yeah, just to, or what to change the good. name. What helpful. sounds good to eat. Oh, yes. I like that one. That sounds good. That sounds good. Something that I'm thinking of is how different my self-care, my me time coming to center has, how it's evolved over the years. Because I'm in a really new phase of my motherhood journey and my life journey. I I have seven kids. My oldest is 25. My youngest just turned 13. My life looked so different 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And so what it looked like to take care of me has changed and my capacity to do so. And you, ha- there's a principle, a lazy genius principle about living in the season. My mom was one to tell me when I was like, frustrated and overwhelmed with lots of little babies, like, I, can't, I just want to, you know, go run an errand or do something for me. She's like, there's a season for everything. This is not that season. Those were words of comfort. But then I also started to resent them a little bit because like, when will I get out of this season? I also grew up in Florida and now I'm living in Utah. So it's brought a whole new meaning to seasons, which I love the seasons. I love fall, the transition into winter and then spring and summer. But talk to us about what you meant when you wrote that in the book about living the season. How can that help us? Yeah, living in your season is such a gift. I feel like anytime there is a massive frustration in one's life, it can be sort of put into the right perspective when you think about the season that you're in. And we're all just coming out of a really tough season. I mean, are we coming out of it? I I feel like (laughs) January 1st, we're like, we're done! But but we're still here. (laughs) No, it's totally true. It's so funny because obviously I wrote this book before the pandemic, like well before. And I remember promising in the beginning, I'm going to write a book that can help you lazy genius literally anything. These principles will apply to anything. And then a pandemic hit and I was like, is this going to hold up? Because I'm about to sell this book in a pandemic. (laughs) I don't know. And it does. And 
the reason it does is be, I think it hinges on this particular principle because if we expect things that worked before we had kids to work when you have kids, you are going to be disappointed and resentful every single day. So it begins with just naming and like standing open-armed, not in denial, not saying like, this is amazing. I love being a mother of little tiny children and having no time. Like you're not trying to force yourself into a truth that you don't believe, but it is also to be honest about the fact like, all right, this is real hard. This is real hard. But I know that this isn't going to last forever, number one. But it also feels a little bit like it's going to last forever. Mm -hmm. So what can I do to remember the importance of this season and let it teach me something? What can I do? So there's this posture of like curiosity about where you are. I mean, if anything is going to help you name what matters, it's having a kid. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just in your face in the best, hardest possible way. And so it, it kind of helps you go like, all right, I did not know that taking a shower, that 10 minutes was going to transform a half a day. Makes me feel like a person. I didn't know that. I didn't know that was a thing because I just would take a shower every day and not even think about it. But now showers really matter. Now, will they matter later? They, I mean, well, hopefully to a point because of hygiene, but like they might not matter emotionally as much in 10 years, you know, they go back to just kind of like doing their job. So it's seasons sort of help us see where we are. They help us pay attention to what is behind us in the sense that like we're learning and we're changing people and every season has something to teach us and it's okay to miss that stuff. Like I told my husband the other day, because our kids are in this, they go to bed at like... 8.45, between 7.30 and 8.45 is when they're all going to bed. Nice. And I get tired though. Like I need to get up for me. It matters to me to get up maybe half an hour before everybody else gets up just to feel like a person. That's important. And so I go to bed at like 9.30. I'm like, we get to be together by ourselves for 45 minutes. This is so sad. Mm. I miss when we could just stay up late and we didn't have to wake up early for the kids or we could, you know, there are all these things that we miss. And I think that rather than entering into that kind of conversation with resentment for where you are, what that does is that tells me how much I love being with my husband. And I can say like, how we miss each other. Hmm. What can we do now to make hanging out this weekend easier later or hanging out tonight easier later? You can magic question stuff. You can let people in and that's another lazy genius principle. You can let people in and ask people for help so that you can like, leave your house for a little bit. You know, you can, there are lots of different ways that we can apply principles once we have named what matters. And the beautiful thing about seasons is they help you do that. They put like a spotlight on what matters most if you're willing to see it, if you're willing to see it. And admit that, yeah, it's really hard right now. Those new babies that don't sleep well and the toddlers that keep crawling into bed with you, like that's a tough season, but it's so hard. It's also so fleeting and it's getting you to this place of teenagers, which I have to say, you don't have teenagers yet, do you? Not yet. My oldest is 11. Oh, I love teenagers. They are so fun. Like I really am loving my life right now. Not getting as much sleep as I want to still because my kids stay up till like 10, 30, 11 and I also get up early to be myself. So I'm, I get up at six. Anyway, appreciating the season for what it is, being okay with the fact that it's not 
maybe not as great as the last season, maybe not as good as the one ahead of you, but just living in that moment, that's so good. So another thing that has changed with seasons in my house is the stuff, right? When you got the babies, you got all the baby stuff and all the toys. We don't have very many toys anymore. We've got a computer. Everyone's got their iPhones. Got some books. So stuff in a daily routine, like my kids don't need me to bathe them and tie their shoes and feed them and do all that stuff. Like they're way more uh, independent. But something about the stuff and the routines and the house rules, you know, they evolve, but they can be so consuming. And one of the things that I see over and over again on our Facebook group are questions about what does your morning routine look like? What do I do with all my stuff? All these little things that like you start to feel like you're drowning in, what is the answer? And we already know you're going to say there's not one answer for everyone, but I'm hoping you can give an answer to Megan because she posted this question and you're going to hit it out of the park. This is what she says. She says, as I need your favorite organization tips and tricks for every room in the house. (laughs) (laughs) She says, I have a week off of work and my plan is to spend it wisely and organize my freaking house. We live in a fairly small house without much storage. So everything is literally everywhere because we have no actual place for it. Help. All right, Megan, we don't mean to laugh at you. It's just, we know it's so real. We all can relate to this feeling. And that overwhelming sense of like, I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. Well, I do. And I'm so excited about it. All right. There are three principles that I think are like the heaviest hitting principles when it comes to your stuff. The first one is essentialize. So essentializing means you are basically getting rid of everything that does not matter. How do you know what doesn't matter? You have to name what matters. So the first step is to go into a room. If you're going to go room by room, go into a room and go, okay, what matters most about this room? Just how you live in it, how you experience it. Like go ahead and name that for yourself. And you can name one or two things, but what matters most about this room if you can get there? Hey, I just have to say right now, if you start finding Kendra on Instagram, she has a highlight bubble where she did this to her house. I watched you do this to your family room. You can watch it play out in real life. Yeah, it's so transformative because it, it feels magical because it works. Like, I just don't feel like there's a lot of stuff, stuff that works. Like, you know what I'm saying? Stuff, stuff. Because here's what we do. We organize before we essentialize. We try to put things in order, but the things that we're putting in order, not everything matters. We, we're, we're organizing stuff that isn't supporting our life. And so you have to start with what matters. And you can start with that room by room. You can start with that with your whole house if you like. Like, how do, how do I want to feel here? How do I want people to feel here? What matters most here? And so it could be things like, for example, in your bedroom. It could be maybe because I'm sitting in mine. What matters most about your bedroom? Is it that it feels like an oasis? Is it that it's just really comfortable and easy to maintain? Is it that it's easy to clean? Is it that your kids can like enjoy being in there without you feeling like everything is super precious. We bought a really expensive comforter that I really, really like. And it's a down, it's like a duvet cover. And my 11-year-old was curious about what was inside it. And so he just cut a hole in it with scissors. And it was so sad. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It was just so sad. So it was kind of like, so even in that moment, just to go, okay, what matters most here? You know, in some ways, I really like that the kid was like, curious. And he's like, I'm gonna solve my problem. I'm really interested in what's within this thing. Mm-hmm. Rather than like, you just ruined my best friend. <laughs> but like, to name what matters in the different rooms, how it feels, how it functions, how you move in it, all that kind of stuff. So name what matters. And then 
That's the first step in essentializing. And the second step is you get rid of everything that does not support what matters, okay? So if you want a room that is comfortable, let's say, then that table that you always knock your knee into the corner of it, get rid of it. It's not serving what matters to you. It's just frustrating you. If what matters in your room is that it is calming, then the open bookshelf that you have in the room, that you're seeing every little thing that's on it, that is not calming. So you either need to like clear off that stuff or you need to put stuff in baskets so that all you see is the baskets. And it's like one, it's more calming. It's visually calming. Like naming what matters helps you know what doesn't. So by essentializing, don't organize anything until you get rid of what you don't need anymore. Get rid of it. Just get rid of it. Give it away, whatever you need to do. I would encourage, by the way, one path out. That's like, I feel like a really important thing because what we do is and we live in piles. It's like, well, this pile's for my sister. This pile's for Goodwill. This pile's for a yard sale. This pile is on the face of marketplace, whatever. And then you just live in piles and nothing, and then it's worse than it was before. So... I would even say in terms of the stuff that is leaving your house, what matters most about that? Does it matter most that it gets out? Does it matter most that you make money from it? What is it even that matters about that? And then try to choose one path out if you can. So name what matters, get rid of what doesn't. Go ahead and like notice if there are things that are missing that you need to really, really support what matters. You know, because that's sometimes the case too, is we don't know, we don't know that there are, kind of essential things missing because it's just been so full of stuff that we don't need. We can't even see what we have. So that's the first step is to essentialize. And then as you go back and organize, the whole goal of organization is not to make things pretty. It is not to make things lined up. It is not to make things like fit in the perfect boxes that are are Instagrammable. Like that is not the goal. The goal is just to put everything in its place which means everything needs to have a place. So if you go through your rooms and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. Well, that's probably a problem about the value of that thing. Does it really matter so much if you don't know where you're going to put it? Maybe you don't really need it so much. So if you have that rule of everything has to have a place and your home is finite, so there are a very limited number of places. So it kind of helps you name like, okay, It's more important for me to keep this thing than this thing. And I'm going to enjoy using this thing because I can see it. I know where it is. It's supporting what matters. And I'm willing to let this other thing go in service of that because this thing matters most. So essentialize, put everything in its place, those two principles. But then the third one, which is so funny for Megan, who has like, I have a week, tell me everything. (laughs) (laughs) The third principle is to start small. Yeah. Because we think, and sometimes it works when we just like go all out and get it all done at once, but not usually. So you can have in your head, Megan, or anybody who is like Megan, you can have in your head, I really hope, I have an intention that this week that I'm home, that I really am going to make every room sort of serve the purpose that I want it to and everything's going to feel organized and my home is going to be calming again. That's my intention. I really do hope that happens. But please do not tear every room up on day one because you are going to be so overwhelmed by what you see and then it's going to be worse by the end. So start small. Start with one drawer, one shelf, one room. If that's your small step, that's fine. But it's really, really important to start small because small steps keep you moving. 
when we, we build big machines, that is when we fail. The big machines, the 17 habit trackers, the I'm going to do a morning routine that has these 10 steps. I'm going to make all these choices. Like when you build all of these like life productivity, big machines to keep you on track or perfect or whatever for no real reason that works, the machine fails, which means you feel like you fail and then you don't do anything. You don't move. There's no yeah. movement. There's no growth. There's no learning. There's nothing. So start small. Yeah. Every, every time you answer a question, I hear you say, name what matters. And I feel like that is the overarching, like figuring out what matters is the key, right? And, you know, my husband and I started a business six years ago. And the why, like, why are we doing this? That is something that I keep going back to because it's hard. It's hard being a working mom. It's hard working through a pandemic. It's hard to get up every day and and do this thing. But our why is strengthening families and that I care so deeply and passionately about. That's what keeps me going. And so something as simple as like organizing your pantry. You got to figure out what matters in here. What matters in my mudroom and my family room? And that's going to give you the clarity you need and keep you going. Another thing you talk about, and you, you mentioned this for a second, is the principle of letting people in. And I know for some people, like the fact that their house isn't perfectly clean and organized is is a blocker for having people over, right? Oh, I couldn't have anyone over. My house looks like a mess. Well, can I just say I love going over to people's houses and when they're messy because it makes me feel better, the fact that my house is often a mess. But there's something connecting in that, right? That's why, because I'm like, oh, you're like me. And when you talked about house rules in your book, there's a whole section on house rules. You talk about how you want to make sure that the rules are fostering connection and not just for protection. That is something that really stuck out to me because as I'm thinking about the clean house and, you know, I've had moments where I've had a perfectly clean pantry, for example, and then a child goes in there to get something and then they spill, you know, goldfish crackers all over the floor and then they leave and then someone steps on them and it's a mess. And I see that and I instantly am furious. Who would dare? Don't you know I just cleaned this, right? I call her Hulk mom. Yeah, Hulk mom. Okay, sometimes Hulk mom makes makes an appearance at my house. But in that moment, it's not about connection. I've forgotten about connection. I'm protecting the fact that I just spent an hour cleaning this pantry, right? That scenario can play out over and over again in all of our homes. Talk to me more about that and how we can foster connection with our people, all the people that live in our house, but then also what's the mindset to help us open up outside of that to foster connection with friends. Another thing that's constantly comes up in our Mom Force Facebook group is I need friends. Like we've got this great online community, but there's something about actually having someone in your home or in your life that is, you know, that connection that is so restorative and that we also desperately need. Yeah. So good. Those are such good questions. I think that in terms of being at home with kids, we can sort of start there with like the <laughs> the connection over protection thing. Going back to my bedspread, they got a whole cut into it. Yes. I heard someone recently say, I don't want to be the kind of person that works out my own issues on my children. And I was like, good. Oh, that's really good. I do that a lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I unintentionally or subconsciously maybe will shame one of my kids for doing something when it was kind of my mistake, 
the other day. So again, our dishwasher is broken. And so we were washing like the kids' water bottles that they take to school. And my oldest, who definitely struggles with attention and follow through, he's not a naturally organized kid. And so he he has a hard time. He's really smart, but he has a hard time sort of just staying focused in school and and with any, not even just with school, with a lot of things. And we repeat things a lot, right? Be sure you drink all your water. Don't wipe your hands on your clothes. Like go, whatever, you know, like the things that we repeat all the time. And well, actually see all the time. We don't repeat them all the time. That's not fair because what I do, here's what we do. I feel like if I were a better mom, my 11-year-old would know how to open a banana on his own. <laughs> yes. He would know how to wash dishes. He would he know to hang know his towel up. Hang his towel. <laughs> he would know all of these things. And so what I do, though, is I turn my insecurity on not being the perfect mom onto him and shame him for not remembering to hang up his towel. Man, I tell you all every day, hang up your What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? And I say it like, sometimes I try to say it like comically Mm -hmm. to sort of take the edge off because I think I I know that it's hurtful for me to do that. I don't want to do that, but I'm working out my own insecurities on him. And I think that's what we do sometimes with things like house rules. House rule is great if its purpose is supporting what matters and if it's meant to connect rather than protect. So like, for example, it's kind of like something that keeps the line of like horrible dominoes from falling. You know, like one thing happens in your house and then all of a sudden you're like, why is everything burning down? Like what just actually happened? And so sometimes we can trace that first domino tipping to one thing, one consistent thing. So maybe it's like, okay, we're going to try to make a house rule around this to try to keep all those dominoes from falling down so that things don't feel like they're falling apart. And if they do, they do. They're going to actually. It's not if they do, it's when they do. But at least we're kind of like paying a little bit more attention to it. But the purpose is not for me to like protect my stuff, protect my own sanity, to protect my own... My image. Yes, exactly. The purpose is to connect with my family. And so like with the bedspread thing, I mean, I was very frustrated for sure. And I, and I had this moment of like, okay, what matters most here? Is it that Sam knows how wrong this was? Or is it that Sam knows that I love him the same, even though he did this? Like, which one matters more? Obviously, we know the answer. Like, that's the thing is when we stop and say, what matters most here? We know. Like we know it's connection. It's always, always connection. It's connection with the person in front of us. It's connection with ourselves. You know, we can have connection with our community, with our neighbors, with our neighborhood, with our country. Like there are so many ways that we can connect. It's all about that because we're connective people. That's like how we're wired. And so to always lead with connection And to know that our tendency is to actually protect. Our tendency is to protect ourselves. When we know that, I think it kind of, it just releases the tension of even the word rule. You know, it's like, it's a house rule. It's not a house rule. It's a house rule. It's like, we're here to get, this is, we're a team here. We're on each other's side. You know, it's, it's all about, it's all about that connection. Yep. So, so good. Okay. So, for those of us that might be struggling to find connection with a girlfriend, I know that you know, going back to the season idea, it was really easy to make friends when I had preschoolers 
and we weren't in a pandemic because we all had little playgroups, right? We go to the park, we go to the library. So I had my mom friends because they were, they had kids, my kids' ages. Now with teenagers and working a lot, I find it a lot harder to foster friendships and, and find new friends. And Hillary, one of the members of our mom force, she posted this on our Facebook group. And I wanted to get your take on it because I know a lot of other people have felt the same thing. She says, I've come to the realization that friends aren't just going to find me at my doorstep. Now, I grew up in a fairly small town and all of my friends were all people I grew up with. I think it can be so difficult to make friends when you move like we did. We moved five years ago, and I still literally know no one. I've tried the peanut app, church, my kids' sports leagues, but I can't ever seem to take the next step to have girlfriends without sounding creepy. I'm kind of an introvert, but I feel like it would be so nice to know someone in the state I live in now. Any suggestions? Mm, That is such a real, a real thing. We so want to be seen. We want to be known, but we don't know how to get there. And we don't want to seem creepy. And we don't want to seem creepy. <laughs> and here's the thing. I would I would just ask, because I feel like that's a that's a deep fear a lot of us have. It's like, you don't want to feel like too much or that this person will be like, she is, she's crazy. I'm not going to be friends with her. And really, what it is that we're thinking about doing is asking someone something like, so where'd you grow up? That's not a creepy question. That's not a scary question. That's not something that's going to drive people away. Now, if you're standing with a complete stranger at line and target and you just say, hello, ma'am, where did you grow up? Like that's maybe mm-hmm. a little creepy, but like we're, we're people who understand for the most part, like what it means to socially connect. And so to give people that you're wanting to invest in, to sort of give them a little bit more of a benefit of the doubt, that they're not going to run away just because you ask them something about themselves. Like we all want to be known. So that's one piece is to sort of let loose that fear a little bit that people are going to think that you're creepy and crazy. I try to teach that to my teenagers because they'll sometimes like a daughter of mine will say, I have no friends. And I'm like, well, invite so-and-so over. Oh no, that'd be so weird. Right? (laughs) What? What? You, You literally have nothing to do. You want someone to call you. She probably feels the same way, right? But that's like rooted in the insecurity and the perfectionism. You don't want anyone to think that I don't have anything to do tonight. But like as a grown woman, we also have those same issues. It, we do. So I think that one of the things that is going back to another a principle we already talked about is to start small. And I know for years and years, I had this image that other people were doing friendships way better than I was. And that everybody had a family they went on vacation with. You know, you always have like your people all the time. Yeah. Well, and social media has kind of made that a little more in your face too. It has. It has. And it's and it's tough. And I know that there are people who have shared with me before that they actually feel badly sharing pictures of their relationships because they don't want other people to feel lonely. They don't want to feel like they're sticking loneliness yeah. in somebody else's face. And so it's it, we're, it's such a tight rope that we're all walking. So I think that part of it is just sort of opening up. This is why it's such a good question. It's like to open up the conversation to say, you know, just like we all parent differently, we all friend differently. You could have one close friend and be good. Some people are sort of good with one. Some people need 20. I do better in uh, one-on-one relationships than getting together with like a group of girlfriends, even though the group might know each other. I just enjoy the, I feel like the relationship can go 
not necessarily deeper, but I can like focus on that person. Like we all just have different ways that we sort of engage or whatever. So I think giving yourself permission to like do it the way that you need to do it. Like what do you need from a friendship? But to also start small, that people don't just automatically have a family that they go on vacation with. It is years and years of tiny, tiny little drops in the bucket. And you do sometimes have to put drops in a bucket and then you're like, you know what, this bucket's great, but it's not going to get much deeper than this. I, I can tell that. Not in a fear way, but just like, yeah, I feel like maybe maybe the, the chemistry's not there or maybe we just don't have as much in common as we'd like or maybe, you know, like not every friendship is going to be a best friend. And just because a friendship doesn't work, that doesn't mean something's wrong with you. Sometimes people just don't connect. Mm-hmm. Like it's just the way it is. Like think about when you date back in the million years ago, like <laughs> that you would, you know, you sort of like get to know people and it's like, oh yeah, I mean, he's, he's fine. He's good, but I don't, I think we're good. Like I don't want to do that again, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And so there is an element of that, I think, to making friends. And so to be patient, to start small, to, to know that just saying like, hey, this is, this has actually been kind of a sort of a transformative small little thing in some of my relationships is I will text friends when I'm going to the store. And just be like, hey, I'm going to Target. Do you need anything? Oh, bless you. I love getting those texts. Costco? Going to Costco? Can I get anything for you? Yes. <laughs> and so I think that there is a, even if the person says no, because most of the time we say no because we feel bad that someone's going to do something. No, you got to let someone in. A problem. Exactly. You need to let them in. You need to say yes, yes. Anytime I feel like someone offers to help you, even if you're not in crisis, you should say yes. That's part of getting into the rhythm of connecting with people I is agree. letting them help you, you helping them, seeing them, caring about them. I remember someone saying to me, I just want her to know I'm thinking about her, but I don't know what to do. And I was like, what if you texted her and said, hey, thinking of you today? And she yeah. was like, well, that's really weird. And I was like, no, it's not. It's exactly what you want it to be. That is the core of what you're doing is saying to someone, hey, I'm thinking about you. I've never, ever, ever met anybody who received something like that and was like, ew. Like, it's just not the reality for most people. And so to give yourself so much permission to just be who you are, start small, ask a question. You don't have to see it as being creepy. And then you sort of hold the expectation of that friendship loosely. Like if you go in being like, this is my only shot at a best friend. This is my only shot at a best friend. Like (laughs) that's not great either. We're just people. We're just trying to connect with each other. And the more, and this is going to sound very Brene Brown, but I'm okay with that. The more that you, this now actually sounds like a Hallmark channel, but it's okay. (laughs) That you're friends with yourself the more able that you are, the the more you're able to be friends with other people. And I think we know that to a point, but if you're so focused on protecting yourself and being like, I don't want to come across as this way. And so you hide who you really are, even just parts of who you really are, then connection, real connection that you are after. It's the same thing as of the, being a perfectionist. The very thing that you are after, you are keeping yourself from by yep. protecting yourself. Yep. So can you guys see why I was so excited to have her on here <laughs> talking about therapy? I feel like I've been through therapy. Guys, 
I know we love the nitty-gritty answers to how to do mom life, like what to cook for dinner. Oh, Kendra, you have an answer for that. You've got like, change your life chicken. What, your world's greatest? Change your life chicken. Google it. It's a thing. We're always looking for answers for the nitty-gritty, and it's so fun to crowdsource that and get, hear what everyone else does because we all do it differently. But naming what matters, to me, that is the big takeaway. That you're going to find your own answer within you. Or you'll know when you see other people's answers, oh, that's not going to work for me because her priorities are different than mine. Like that's what happens. And that's okay. It's totally okay. It's not like a judgment thing. I use this line in the book that I feel like we have this sort of like beauty pageant of realness that we're all just sort of like parading around like this is the priority that, you know, and like we're all compared with each other, which is such garbage. Like we all just get to Mm -hmm. choose what matters to us and it all works. We can all still like be in community even though we're choosing different things, maybe not even even though, because we're choosing. It's a more vibrant, exciting, wonderful community. Exactly. And so if you know what matters to you, you automatically have a filter when you are in the Mom Force Facebook group and someone says, hey, who has an idea for a dinner that you can make at lunchtime and not really think about until you're eating it? And people put, you know, there are a hundred different recipe ideas, but you know what matters to you about how you eat and what your kids need. And you are totally fine with the fact that right now they don't eat peas. So anything with peas, we're skipping. It's just (laughs) not for me right now. It does not support what matters or whatever it is. It just is this freeing lens for you to see things for what they are, not as judgments for what someone else chooses, not as judgments towards yourself for like, well, she's obviously choosing better than I am. And I'm a terrible person because she's got it all together. You know, then you start the spiral in your own head and all the things. It's like, if you know what matters to you and you continue to support other people, other women, as they name what matters to them, I mean, I'm telling you what, the world would be like so great if Lots everybody would just do of that. The universe, I know. Seriously, I think that is the answer to the meaning of life. <laughs> Peace on earth. Good stuff, Kendra. Thank you so much. Where can our people find you? I'm usually on Instagram doing all kinds of things, but I'm at The Lazy Genius. And I have a podcast, The Lazy Genius Podcast, where we basically like, take these principles and apply them to specific topics every week. So the Mm -hmm. titles are really specific. We've got everything from The Lazy Genius Organizes Paper to Navigating Family Tension to Planning Dinner to Having a Movie Night, like all kinds of things. So it's all about everything that I do, every single thing that I do is meant to give you permission to name what matters to you and then help you figure out how you can be a genius about it. Because I want your life to feel good. I want it to work well. I want you to have systems that serve you. I want you to know when you can let a system break and it's okay. You know, that we can just be wholehearted people in connection with each other who still get stuff done and we're not ashamed of it. But we're all supporting what matters to us individually for the good of the the collective. That's why it's the Lazy Genius Collective. For the good of the collective as everybody names what matters to them. So Instagram, everything's Lazy Genius. Basically, if you just Google the Lazy Genius, <laughs> you'll find you'll, all the You'll things. find all my things. You'll find all my things. Yeah. I recommend looking at her highlight bubbles on her Instagram. There's some really, you've done a great job of saving some of those great stories. Thanks. Thank you for teaching us how we can celebrate every day, no matter what season we're in, no matter what state our homes are in, (laughs) but being able to name what matters so that we can enjoy the amazing in the everyday. 
You're awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. This has been great. Thank you for joining the Mom Force. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review and come join the conversation over on our Mom Force Facebook group. And check out the show notes for a special chapbooks discount code. Until next time. Thank you.